the other week that the New York Times did an article about how all of the big publishers are moving from Midtown to the financial district and they're all adopting an open floor plan. (laughs) Yeah, I did see Uh, (laughs) I did see that. It was a very funny article to me for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah, it was a very funny article to me, um, mostly because the, the people that they were interviewing about how amazing that this like really expensively designed open floor plan with phone coffins in it is so great where people that like have their own offices still. Yeah. Um, Yeah, That's the thing, right? They were all like, yeah, those people aren't in the open plan. Yeah. (laughs) But so, okay. So as somebody who does work open plan, like what it, what open plan means for me, Eric, is that I work at home at least 20% of the time because I can't get any fucking work done right, yeah, exactly. when it's when I need to like sit and concentrate. So do you know what that open plan is telling me, Eric? Mm-hmm. And this is not a super cheery thing to do on a cold open. But what <laughs> but what that article, Eric, has told me uh-huh. is that it is just publishers codifying the fact that they expect editors to do acquisitions and editorial work outside of regular business hours. Well, because you can't do it at your job anymore. No! Right? Like if you make... That's a great point, actually, because if you make it so that editing can't happen at your desk at your job, you are just saying, oh, you got to do it at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you make my workplace the best place I can get work done, yeah, that's bleak, man. Yeah. Man. I know. I remember when they were talking about, like, I was I was in New York right when HarperCollins moved. I, was, mm. I even interviewed there a couple the times. The first one. It, yeah. Yep. And they, I remember doing interviews there while they were kind of like in, like, you know, stuff in boxes, so like in transition, right? And yeah. everybody there hated it. Of there course, was not a single, of course there was they not, did. There was not a single person who thought this was good, including actually a lot of people who would, who were used to offices because they had less offices in the financial district building. <laughs> and so like a lot of people who, a lot of like longtime editors who had been used to like having their own space for like a decade suddenly were like, in like an alcove or a cubicle out with, you know, the commoners, you know, all of a sudden. <laughs> For a job where a good, it's literally yeah. only having meetings and then like silent time. Yeah. Office. Fl- there, it's the worst. <laughs> Do you know what's also really hilarious? And when I say hilarious, I mean bleak. And like I'm I, we're so glad that you work in your basement alone because mm-hmm. that is obviously the best case scenario now in publishing. Um but they got rid of the bookshelves. Yeah, they did get rid of the bookshelves. That was a key move. <laughs> key move for the a publisher. publisher got, the publishers are getting rid of the bookshelves. Incredible. Um, have, you, <laughs> have you ever, I don't know, whenever I call an editor now, like at their desk. Yeah. It's always like they're, the way they answer the phone now is if unless we have carefully and painstakingly set up like a conference line in a room they had to book like a month in advance. You know, <laughs> like if I just call them at their desk to talk about something, they answer like, Hello? Like, it's like, because they're, like, Can in the I middle of an open you? floor plan. They don't want to talk at their desk. And so they have to, like, hold on, I'm going to transition you to the phone bank. And yet they have to, like, walk to the t- – It's it sucks. I and I am glad that I work in my little hovel, yeah. um, which is great. So Yeah, and we both have very loud speaking voices. And we That's both true. love to pace when <laughs> we're on the phone. That's true, yeah. Although, I like to hold a Nerf football yeah, except, while I pace so that <laughs> – the people on the other end of the line understand that I'm a dual threat passer with both the legs and the arm to get the job done. 
Uh, so, hasn't your dog taken the <laughs> football though? Yeah, he did take the football. Um, he's <laughs> not quite a dual threat everything. that you were thinking. He's taken everything from me. He's taken my calendar. He's taken the football. He takes my shoes. It's it's not good, folks. Maybe maybe it is. It is not a question of whether he is the good boy or a bad boy, and maybe you're just the bad boy, and he's sent down to punish you for <laughs> he's, it. He's basically my <laughs> boss. Yeah. Like, basically, I finally have a creature in my house who, like, shows up to take away privileges and make my life worse. So, yeah, it's like having a boss yeah, in my house. Yeah, just um, wait one day until he takes away your bookshelf, yeah, and then you're going to be right at home in publishing. He actually kind of did that because I had to move things <laughs> off the bottom two shelves where he could reach them. So, in a way, that, that's already happened. But, anyway, welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name, Eric Kane. With me, as always, Laura Zatz. Laura. Hello, Laura. <laughs> Um, we have a really fun episode for you today. I'm excited about it. I know Laura's excited about it. We were we, going to record it on Friday, and then we, we wanted were, to spend some more time with it. Yeah, yeah. we actually wanted it, to prepare for this. <laughs> so, <laughs> little look behind the curtain, folks. We haven't winged this one. Um, we were going to prepare for it, so get ready. Um, but and we'll kind of frame it in a minute. But we're going to do some big picture speculative thinking about what agents and agencies could be and can do in the ways that we would all like to see them. And so we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we get there, how about the basic rundown? Yeah. So we are in the middle of June 2019. And guess what? Because Eric Boom. and I are good, successful, committed people. We've already put out the query show for the month. I love to own a small business <laughs> and operate it at efficient levels. Yeah. It's super great. Um, so head on over to Patreon and give it a listen. We will have the first pages show and then a flex show, mm -hmm. which I think we're going to do about contracts. Yeah. So that one should be pretty fun. But head on over there and take a listen. You can send us your queries, your first pages, your questions, your suggestions, anything, you know, compliments about Eric's hair, any of <laughs> that. That's like making its way now into like every roundup or rundown. What do we call it? This little sometimes section? I talk about your yeah. pants. Yeah, that's good too. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It, Perfect. It you have you have many good qualities that deserve wow. to be appreciated. Wow. Love to love to feel affirmed. <laughs> Send them to us. We're at printrunpodcast <clears throat> at gmail .com. So, the topic today comes from something that uh, Laura and I talked about doing. I think a week ago, because um, we did it two weeks ago, we were on a panel discussion at St. Thomas University for their Summer Publishing Institute. And we, you know, we showed up and we were asked to kind of talk about what age, you know, kind of basic stuff for people, both who were aspiring writers and people trying to break into the industry. You know, they were asking us, what do agents do? How does the job work? How do you break into the industry? All that kind of stuff. Um, but at the end, someone asked what I thought was a really interesting question. And, you know, at the time, you and I, I think, did a reasonable job of answering it. And even after the question and answer session ended, we even talked to this person even further about it. And we did, we're having drinks this week, so we we're did, we really following really, up. We did find it really interesting. But the question was basically, what do agents do as a means of supporting marginalized people getting into the field? That's, is that basically how you would characterize yeah. it, right? And yeah. so. The reason that question is interesting to me is not just on its face because it's obviously a very valuable, um, it's a very valuable question and something that all agencies and agents should be thinking about doing. How to use our position in the industry to help those trying to break in who are marginalized and all that kind of stuff. But it actually it got us thinking much more broadly, and that's what we're going to do on this show today, which is like, what should agencies and agencies do? What like, should we be doing? What should like? 
it's so what I want to do today, Laura, and you and I to prepare for this, we have each written down two shoulds and a could, right? And the point being that we've sort of come up with these talking points for what we think agents and agencies should be doing as a matter of practice that they are not doing currently. And then, you know, at the end, maybe something that isn't quite possible yet, but could be under a slightly re-envisioned publishing landscape. And so basically, you know, we did a few, I guess it was a really long, we've been doing this show a long time, Laura. Yeah, um, a two long and a half years. A long time ago, we did a, a show, it was a build a publisher, right? And we kind of talked about what we would do if we were starting a publisher from scratch. And that's not what we're going to do here, but it is going to kind of touch along the same sort of themes, like how agents should function because we're in a weird place in the industry right we're sort of a go between it's not quite murky you know it's not quite clear what our role or i guess it's clear what our role is but it's not quite clear why we exist on a fundamental level like if you try to explain to someone our job is the one that is the hardest to explain literally when i tell people i say realtors but for books yeah like, and that's that's a very imprecise and bad way to explain my job. Yeah. We're not the one buying anything and we're not the one selling anything. You know, we're sort of yeah. the one in between. It's so it kind of raises questions of what should an agency be or what should an agency do? And we won't get to all of that today, but we will get to some of it. And I think that you and I have kind of spent the day thinking about, you know, in 2019 with things looking the way they do, with tr- things trending the way they do both in the world and in publishing, which in its own way, is always a small microcosm of the world at large. Um, what would we like to see happen, and how would we like to see our roles redefined in a small way? And so, you know, we've each got kind of three things, and I figure to start, why don't you know? Why don't we get yours first? Like, if you were to give me a should, my should, yeah, give me a should. Yeah. So one of the things um, which I think will run as closely parallel to my answer that I gave at this talk. Mm-hmm is that I believe that agencies should rethink what it means to support new agents. So, t- yeah, flesh it out. Yeah, talk okay. That. So on the show, we talk a lot about how, like, agencies should pay their agents right. because it takes five years or more for somebody <clears throat> to even make, like, close to livable money. And that's really if they're doing this full time. Yes. It takes even longer if they've got other jobs or, you know, if, if they're – coming from a less p- privileged background in any sort of way. Yep. Um, and so I, I was kind of thinking about what agencies could do to support new agents beyond a salary. Cause like, obviously like money is always going to be the best thing, but in instances where that's not feasible, because I think that there are also, you know, some pros to going with a, um, to go with a commission only agency. Certainly. Uh, I, I think that, Agencies, even if they do do only commission, they could include some things like financial mentoring and kind of be training agents how to how to kind of work in a space where, you know, if you're lucky, you're getting paid, you know, you get paid royalties twice a year (laughs) and, you know, working in that kind of freelance based space where you don't quite know exactly what you're going to make at any time. And then I think one of the most important and key things there is continuing education and training that not so. So agenting and all of publishing is very much a apprenticeship industry (coughs) where you're teaching somebody who is in this business how to do the job that they're there. But one thing that is really, really big and is a huge like cash cow, probably more than even like 
straight up publishing itself from an agent's perspective is all of the other stuff uh-huh. that comes with your expertise as an agent. And so I would love to see agencies provide continuing education in editing or in teaching or something so that they have training to that so that they're learning how to monetize the skills that they're that they're yeah. gaining as an agent. God, that's such a that's such a great point um, because <laughs> you're so right that so often I mean, I do this, right? Like yeah. everyone everyone does this. Like, you know, the freelance editing and the going to conferences and teaching and like you and I there's like the Loft Literary Center in yes. town. So like you and I get a, a not insignificant amount of our income from teaching courses there, all that kind of not stuff. Not like, insignificant. <clears throat> like that and, is key. Like and so like a lot of 1099s coming from all of these places. Yeah. And so that actually, like the idea that an agency, it's almost like they can't have it both ways. Right. right? Like if you're not going to pay me, you should have to. You should help me so that I can pay myself. Yeah, exactly. That's a, I think that's a reasonable expectation. And it's one that, you know, kind of circle back yeah. on the original premise of that question. And really, I think a theme that's going to run through really the foundational premise of this show, which is how can publishing open itself up to people who it is currently closed off from? Like, making agenting, even under its current model, like what you're suggesting is a tweak to a flawed system, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it sucks that we're not being paid. Like, it would be great to get a salary. I would prefer that over what you just described. Yes, I I would too. But that's my point, is that what you're describing shouldn't be that, isn't that radical. And it doesn't take a lot of money or commitment from an agency's perspective. So like a lot, so here's an example, folks. A lot of the time when a new agent comes to a big New York agency, they will send the new agents to conferences because the established agents are too busy. Um, The the new agents are hungry to build their list. So they want to sign a bunch Mm -hmm. of people and it's a good place to like, you know, kind of get themselves known. Right. Yeah. But what, and like, Sometimes they get paid for that, but a lot of the time they don't. But imagine what would happen if a more established agent or an agency on the whole was brought opportunities for something like Writer's Digest approached them about writing something or they were asked to give a day long workshop about something like imagine what would happen if like Donald Moss, right, who does like day-long workshops yeah. all over the country yeah. teaching people about publishing right. and i mean i don't i don't know how much he makes from that but like clearly it's a big part something, of his yeah. business right. for his agency and that's something he does by himself for the most part like imagine what would happen if like that was built into the entire foundation of a particular agency yeah. and somebody was doing you know like the agency itself was offering day-long workshops or there were opportunities to make money outside of the strict work of agenting. Like imagine if somebody helped you with your publishing hustle beyond teaching you how to agent. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And it kind of speaks to like when I transitioned to this job from being an in-house editor, one thing that happened to me, the most jarring aspect of the change wasn't learning how to do things on an agent side, wasn't learning how to pitch, wasn't learning how to do any of the actual job. It was suddenly I was like in front of people, like strangers. Like I was like, you know, when you're in house, you don't have to do. Yeah. You just sit at your desk all day and you read and you, you, it's like a normal office job. But agenting, I have found like, I Obviously, I have to be online all of a sudden. I have to. I have. <laughs> which to, is a great, great burden on you. Which has totally warped my personality. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, it's like I have to. 
you know, you have to teach now. You have to go to comp. It's much more public facing. Yeah. Right? Like you have to do all this stuff that I have no training in. It's not. No one has ever taught me how to teach a course. No one has ever right. taught me how to like you know take pitches or you know talk to writers or do any of these things that are now part of the job and are now also like part of how I you know make a living month to month. Mm-hmm. Like you're right that I think that some sort of acknowledgement of that on the part of the agencies that not you know if we're not going to pay you we have to understand that you're going to have to do other things to get money and like that also extends into some non-monetary things too right like it would be for instance being a little bit more flexible about timing you know like if someone if you're working for a place like this and someone emails you and says i need this by x date it should be okay for you to have to turn around and say, actually, I've got this other obligation that my rent hinges on. I have to do that first. You know what I mean? Like, there are lots of different ways that, you know, the commission-based agent could be made easier, I think. And I think what you've described is a really good one is that, you know, the, just an acknowledgement of what it is. Because it does sometimes feel like agencies want to play it both ways, right? Like, they yeah. want to um, they want to treat you like a salaried employee, Without paying without paying you or without like teaching you how to make money outside (laughs) of them, because that's also one of the things is like so many people work second jobs in publishing, particularly in agenting, and nobody talks about it. You know what I mean? And so there's kind of this idea where if you're needing to hustle outside of agenting, then you're a failure. There is a taboo around talking. We talked about that with uh, Jess Sinsheimer when she came on. There's there's a total failure, and so I think. One thing that I mean, it's it's there's a separate taboo to kind of have a completely unrelated day job, but it's yeah. less so if you're, you know, the agent who gets asked to go to all these places and gets flown around the country to do these things. Yeah. But that also doesn't happen yeah. until you're a little bit more established. And I think so much of this like this, I think actually very little of this has anything to do with receiving money from writers either, by the way. Like, I know some people balk at the idea of, like, author services stuff, which I think is actually we're going to get into in a yeah, little bit. Yeah, we will. Um, which is good. Oh, but, like, don't you worry. <laughs> but, like, I'm talking about payment from, like, a lot of agents you see, and I think this is really cool, they write for places, right? Mm-hmm. I've written for places, you know, and written pieces about my experience agenting. You have, too, for writers. And you got paid for that. Yeah, they and pay super you well. Know what I mean? like, writers Digest, if you're listening, I would love to write another <laughs> article for you. But you see what I'm saying? Like... Or it's that, or it's, you know, getting paid from various, you know, arts institutions. You know, there's a lot of publishing money to be had that an agent could theoretically tap into using their experience that yeah. we have to kind of muddle. Yeah, I don't know. You you guys get the point at this yeah. point. But. Related to that, though, can I get into my second should? Because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely it related. It relates. Yeah, do it. Um, my second should is that, we, okay, so I just spent all this time talking about how, like, agents should make money. Yeah, yeah but a specific <laughs> um, kind. A specific kind of money, right? But I also think that agents and agencies should refocus their energy um, specifically from paid pitches at conferences to informational sessions. And so here's here's 100%, why. 100%. This is yes. a lot more to service the author yes. than it is to service the yes. agent. So a lot yes. of the times um, agents will get flown and have all of, you know, their hotel, their food, et cetera, taken care of when they go to a conference. Every once in a while, you'll get paid. Even rarer is if you do like critiques or pitches, you will get paid per like critique or yeah. pitch, right? But here's here's the thing. At writers' conferences, 
an author will be paying for the opportunity to pitch you, even though the author, you know, like yep. that and that money just goes to put on the conference. And I understand that oh, it that doesn't is, go to you, to be clear. No, do, yeah. I mean, rarely it goes yeah. to you. I think maybe yeah. once in my entire life yeah. has it gone to me. Yeah. Um, and so the thing is, is like the the conference needs this money to be put on. Right. Um that's but the what line of reasoning. That's anyway. the line of reasoning, sure. But what what a pay to play kind of situation means is that it puts a lot of pressure on us, the agent, to like really request things and to be open to things that we wouldn't normally be open to because, you know, the people paying to pitch us want to pitch in person, but they're only, you know, they're limited to the people who are invited to this conference. But then also, you know, it might put an undue burden on the authors because, of course, the conferences are trying to sell these services. And, you know, there's a there's a you get 10 minutes to pitch this. There's a there's a higher chance that you'll get signed or there's right. a higher chance that you'll right. get a request. Guess what? I've no. been an agent for six years. I go to I've been to probably, you know, close to like 100 uh-huh. pitchy things. Yeah. And I've signed zero people from any of these pitches. And not because like the people coming are bad, but just because like this is a numbers game. And out of yeah. 10,000 yep. queries I get a year, I sign a few. Well, and so that's. So that's a really interesting point, and I feel like there are going to be people who hear that who have played the conference game and are going to feel a certain way about hearing that. But the thing that I, the point I think you're trying to make is that it is really valuable to get 10 minutes to talk to it you is. or any agent. The problem is it's valuable not in your ability to get a pitch on a yes-no binary. Yeah. It's 10 minutes where you could ask about Workshop a certain element something. of your – Yeah, like use it as an – and this is honestly just good – I'm sure we've done an episode on this before, but like this is just good like writer conference habit. If you're a writer listening to this, like use those sessions for information because information will translate across all sorts of other pitches you do. Like use that chance to ask questions. Use that chance to say, hey, if I use these comps or if I pitch this a certain way, how does that sound? Like that is much more useful than trying to get a flat yes or no out of the person you're talking to. And not only is that, I think more useful. It's also more fair to you, right? Because then yeah. you're not because we talk a lot about paying for access and we think it sucks and it shouldn't happen. And there's this idea that you need to pay to play to pitch an agent at a no. conference. And, and what sh- what it should be yeah. is you should pay for critique and their time and their like their work like that. You shouldn't pay yeah. to sit down in somebody and have them say yes or no. And query I believe is free. query yeah, is free. Query is free and query should always be free and you should never ever ever yeah. ever put any money down. To try to query. And so I and, you know, on top of that, I believe that transitioning from um, like paid pitches at conferences into like informational or like workshop or critique sessions, like even if they're still only 10 minutes, like what that will also do is like reduce the amount of like fear and stigma associated with the querying process. And it will like destigmatize us mm-hmm. as agents and as like people see us as these big scary yeah. like gatekeepers, and it'll really like I think improve the mental health of and <laughs> yeah. and you know yeah. the access for everybody everybody in publishing. Well, so I'm going to a, I'm going to a conference this weekend. I'm going to DFWCon yeah. down in Dallas Fort Worth, um, which is a major writer conference. Um, it's a big one. It's a fun one. 
treat agents well. They, I think that I've never been, but I hear they treat the writers well, like all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, it is um, perhaps the most luxurious conference <laughs> I've ever been to. Yeah, they um, they put their agents on a three year rotation because it's so good. Yeah, no. Um, so I finally got the nod this year, which is really fun. Hell but, yeah! But one of the things I'm doing that I'm really excited about down there is I'm going to be on a panel where I guess the concept is that people who have had trouble with their pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone who has maybe sent out a bunch of queries and either not gotten responses or got a bunch of rejections or it's not quite working how they want, they bring it up and it's not, we're not going to be saying yes or no, we're going to kind of workshop it with them. Oh, we're that's say, such a great idea. Like we're going to do, like the idea is we talk about how to strengthen what's there as opposed to serving as like a potential access point. Right. And I, that to, I'm excited about that. That to me feels way more... As I think about like a writer paying the price of admission for something, like that feels really worth it. Like that feels like something that yeah, because be, it's craft. Yeah, exactly. So you're not paying to play, right? So that that got me excited. Yeah. Um, so what what are some of your shoulds, Eric? I'm sure. curious. All right. So <clears throat> this is switch. This we're gonna switch gears. A okay, bit I'm here. ready. My body is ready. You can yes. maybe comment on the transition if you feel like it. Uh, I think that's your job, and I think you've just done it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, here we go. If the publishing industry demands that authors have online platforms, agents and agencies should make sure they understand what being online actually means and the risks it imposes. Okay, so break that down for me. Well, so basically, this is the thing that I see a lot. And it's happened on my list. It's happened on other people's lists. It happens to authors all the time. You see it. Um, like a conventional advice, any agent now, when people ask questions about platform, right? How do I build my platform? Because mm-hmm. every agent and publisher now, all they want to talk about in far, as far as getting a book deal is platform, platform, platform. Basically what they mean is you need to be on social media, right? Like yeah. you have to be tweeting. If you're someone with a more visual concept, you need to be on Instagram. You should be cultivating, a, you know, whatever it is. And so there's this sort of implicit demand that if you're trying to make it as a professional author, you need to be on the internet. You need to be online. You, need you have to be, to be logged on, folks. You do. Um, <laughs> but what comes with that, though, is also this weird publisher belief and this weird industry belief that if you act up for some re- or if not even if you act up, if publishers perceive you mm-hmm. as having acted up, they can cancel your contract. I have looked at I have looked at clauses in contracts that say like, if you're publicly accused of something, Ooh. we can cancel your book deal. If, you know, or, you know, you'll see it from agencies too, like there's, you know, basically the idea of like a morality clause, right? Right, which we've talked about on the show before and vehemently dislike. Right. And so, and you're seeing that more and more. And so there's this weird dichotomy where it's like, yes, you need to be online. And also, yes, your behavior is under the jurisdiction of our entirely arbitrary set Mm -hmm. of rules. And also, you know, we are willing to take things within any context we feel like. And like, so... You know, for instance, if, you know, an author is harassed off a platform, you know, which, by the way, happens all the time now on Twitter, right? Like people. Oh, yes. It, it's really easy when it's... Jack is a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, like if Twitter or any of these social places are sites where someone can be, you know, bullied or harassed or, you know, targeted in whatever way, in a way that makes them not want to use the site, that shouldn't count against their publishing career. And it shouldn't be reason, like, you know, a lot of the time these places want to target authors as a means of, like, attacking their representation or, you know, Mm -hmm. they want, you know, they do that kind of telling on your manager thing. Like, I get emails about my authors online. 
I don't know if, how much time you've spent in like real like left Twitter, but it's not a very like pleasant place <laughs> a lot of the time. And so I get for a variety of my clients, like I get emails that are like, "Hey, your author is doing this, this, or this," and it's like, you know. But like the point is, like there is a version of this where an agent could say, "Hey, you know, you got to quit." You know, quit making a ruckus on the internet without looking into it all that much. And yeah, an agency that wouldn't understand you have to the, under- the 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 social media landscape. Yeah, so I just think like really harmful. My my yeah. point is that if being online, and I am not convinced that it is. I don't actually don't know that being on the internet is a um should be a pre- as much as contrarian as that it's. I don't actually think that being on the internet should be a prerequisite to being an author of any kind, like theoretically, like career promotion and all that kind of stuff is something that a publisher should be able to do. It's something that an agency should be able to do without an author needing to like tweet what they're having for breakfast every minute. You know what I mean? Like I had yogurt. <laughs> I didn't tweet but, it, but now you guys know. But like my point is if you're going to ask that, you also have to understand the risks. You yeah. have to understand what it means for someone who is marginalized in some way, you know, someone who... You know, like if a Jewish person, if your writer is Jewish and, you know, they're online tweeting and suddenly, you know, their mentions are filled with white supremacists and Nazis, that's something that you as an agency should be fluent in understanding. And that's something that you have to be willing to, like, grapple with on the actual terms as they exist, not in how you perceive them to be, you know. And Mm -hmm. I just I think that's really important. And I think that um, just realizing that. You know, these landscapes are, you know, they're changing. And it's not just about, like, harassment stuff. Like, so often, you know, I was having a conversation today, like, writer careers now are made and broken by the connections they have on Mm. the internet, right? Right? Like, I know, for instance, like, pitching, this is going to relate to something else, you know, one of my other, my other should. Um, You know, like, connections to magazines now happen over social media. Connections to editors, you know, like, I... I have had situations where I have put together entire pitch lists for authors based on which publishing editors are following them online. You know what I mean? And it worked. I mean, we sold a book that way. Like, <laughs> like it's the internet now is a space where a lot more is happening than just tweeting about your book. And which it's is, a curated space, yeah, exactly. which allows it, which allows an agent to really like dial in on a specific audience or a specific editor. And I'm just saying, like. If a public, like if a publisher or an a, really an agency, like because a public at the point a publisher gets involved, a lot of the battle is already won, right? Because like the deal is in place. Like we're kind of talking about a space where an author's trying to break in, and like if you say you have to be online, and an author turns around and says, "Okay, how?" You should be ready to answer that question. Yeah, and you should be, and it should be something other than tweet about what you like to talk about. You know, it should be something that relates to, okay, here's how we can, you know, help you meet you know, the sort of influencers or the sorts of people that are going to be important to getting you in the spaces, you know, there should be a strategy. Yeah. And there should be like risk assessment and there should be all this stuff that treats online like the complex space that it now is. And I don't see that yet. And like, I think it's kind of evidenced by like, I think that the worst accounts on the internet for as far as like book stuff goes are publishers and agencies. The most, it's like not hey, indivi- look not, at this book yeah, yeah, that yeah, we're, not that's indi- going to be out. Right, right, right. Not individual, not individual a- agents, but agencies. 
and and like publishers, the tweets are boring and like they don't know how to do it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> seriously though, like these places demand that you use the internet a certain way, but the way they're doing it isn't yeah. selling. They're not selling books. They like, are not just... welcoming you to another week of books. <laughs> That tweet got zero faves today. Laura. Oh, I'll make sure. That's it... the one. That's like usually my big hitter of the week. Uh, the people, welcome. People love the welcome, but this week, folks, no one bid. I think it's because we did, we tweeted a bunch around it. But anyway, I cried for like thirty seven minutes about it this morning. It's very uh, exact. <laughs> um, Clearly, we're very keyed in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, everyone should be yelling about things like we do as an animatronic bird on the internet. That's yeah. my key to publishing. Um, so you ready for my second one? I'm ready for your second one. Okay, so and this relates in its own way, but it stretches beyond it, and that's this. Agents should understand that most of a writing career doesn't happen around books anymore. Hmm. And so what I mean by this one is, is something that I've really had to kind of learn on the fly as an agent, as someone whose job is now, like as an editor, your job is to work on a specific book yeah. with an like, you're not really responsible for careers in the same way as you are as an agent, right? Like, an editor, you're responsible for the book in front of you. Sure. And all, and all that that means, you're responsible for fighting for it in-house. You're responsible for publishing it as competently and successfully as possible. But, you like, your job isn't, between those books, isn't to help that author do all the various things. Build anything, do exactly. anything, and anything so, like that. Like, that sort of interim building is now... Like, you know, if you're like a novelist, for instance, and you get, um, you know, let's say you get 7500 bucks for your debut novel. Mm -hmm. And then your second book, let's just say something great happens and you get like $15,000, right? So that's what, twenty two k over the course of at least four years. Oh, yeah, you know? for sure. <laughs> so, like, my point is you can do the math quickly. This is not, like, fiction writers especially, I think, are... You're not making your living as a writer, as a right. book writer, even if that is the most important part and the most visible part still. Like, you're doing all these other things, right? Like, you're writing essays for magazines mm -hmm. now. You're doing things like applying for grant money. Maybe you're applying for an MFA. Maybe you're trying to get certain residencies, you know. You're working with IP. You're doing yes. serial work. Yes. You're collaborating with somebody. You're in anthologies. You're editing anthologies. You're doing all sorts of things that aren't just... Books. The book. And so I really think that as we get to a place where, and this is actually will relate to my big aspirational thing that we'll do at the end, but as we get to a place where advance money for like debut writers and especially debut writers who are writing anything even remotely risky or interesting, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if you're like on any sort of artistic vanguard, like you're probably not going to get that much money up front. Yeah. Not um, until you've proven yourself. Right. But like, Agencies need to understand that that work in between should be your job too, you know? And you're building careers, you're not just selling books. And so like I've had to think a lot about, you know, and this is I say it not as a point of like I'm doing this and no one else's, but rather I've realized I've had to start doing this and initially was very ill equipped to do it, but I'm work trying to work my way into mm -hmm. it and I'm, but like helping writers, you know, finalize grant applications is something I have now done for clients for no pay by the way this is one more reason for like like I don't get the money when they you know if they get the grant or anything nor should I by the but way what, but like, what it means though is that they have money to live while they finish writing the book that you are going to eventually sell and so you know I've helped with you know grant applications I've helped with MFA stuff I've helped with 
I've written, um, I've written letters of recommendations. Yeah, yeah or that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or like even trying to make connections at media outlet. You know, like, hey, my author is working on this kind of stuff. Can they write for your magazine? Any of that kind of stuff. It's really difficult. And I think anyone listening to this who like works at a magazine probably isn't necessarily used to hearing from agents. Mm. But more and more, like if your job is to be an advocate for an author, which I think is kind of the crux of the job more than like the selling and the pitching. It's your job is to kind of be there for that person in whatever professional way you can is the way I've kind of come to understand the job. Like that's going to mean working on things with that writer that don't have anything to do with the book or at least don't have anything to do with the book like in an immediate way. Like, right. And because writing careers don't happen that way anymore. Like writers, especially now, like they make their they make their hay, you know, writing, you know, for regularly for online sites. They make their hay doing all this other stuff that isn't the book and the book ends up being like a natural extension of that. And but agencies still I think selectively only want to get involved when like all that stuff is considered the agent the author's responsibility, yeah. right? Like you gotta go pitch. You've gotta go apply for the stuff. You know, if you need me to look something over, fine. But when it's, when you're when you're living on a like a commission, right? Or if even if you're salaried and you're working for a gigantic uh, literary agency who you know has numbers and quotas, yeah. et cetera, it's yeah. really easy to be short sighted with your time. Yeah. It's really easy to say, no, I'm not going to negotiate this short story contract right. for you right. because it only pays a hundred dollars. And I could spend that time pitching a book that might make me, you know, that might get a, a $30,000 advance or See something like that. that logic and, of commission falls. But the so thing is, like, is like yeah. you don't get that $30,000 advance anymore unless Without. somebody has those other things. Yep. And so I think that's where kind of our two shoulds really come together, Eric, yep. is that. Like to serve our authors, we need to be doing these things, yeah. but we can't do these things until we have a system that's built around us that looks at that in the long view and really values that time. Like when I'm on a agency call with people, I say, you know, like my ideal, right? And we've said on the show before, and I'll, I say all the time that like I am really best with authors who are a little deeper into their career. They yeah. have lot they have the next 2 years planned out. Yeah. It's great. Like, yeah. you know, we're we're really like working on building something big. Right. So I have these authors 2 years in and we only got there because we built it up. Mm -hmm. We built it up from that $7500 debut advance. Right. And it was a combination of a media platform and connecting with bloggers and connecting with editors and and making a fan base and and really like building it out in a way that just wasn't like this person's books that they wrote on their own and then maybe I sold. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's just so much more like a writing career now. Like the book writing a book is like less and less a tenable thing to do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so like if we're gonna justify our job in the industry, like we have to be willing to respond to that environment, you know? Yeah. And like just to like take a step back to the initial premise of the conversation and where it came from, right? Like this person asked us, well, how, you know, how can what how can your work lead to greater access for marginalized people? Like it comes from this sort of thinking, right? Like it comes from the idea that, you know, you can create a space where someone who maybe doesn't have the resources up front, um, you know, can enter. You can provide support for someone who can't like just to set aside all their time and, you know, write a book, you know, without getting paid for anything beforehand, you know, like being able to kind of respond to people's lives mm -hmm. in this way 
I think is really a kind of a key tenet of yeah. that. And so like as we so we've gone through our four shoulds. Yeah, I think we should now, transition into your could. Yeah. So we've got now we're gonna kinda each get into the kind of the more aspirational thing, right? Like the thing that you know, what we just described, you could sort of see existing as like you know with some tweaks you could sort of do that now right like it's sort of the world we have allows for you know what we kind of just described but i think this is a little bit different like here we're going to kind of reach a little bit which is i think is important as just a vision all right so i'll go first so this is my hypothetical could agencies could play a huge role in combating the deeply unequal publishing financial landscape by democratizing their earnings and using those funds to support authors not receiving huge advantage, whose huge advances for their books. Okay, so this is related to what you were just saying, but can you yeah. go deeper into what that means? Well, so, and I think like for this, a key thing to remember is that oftentimes the agency, the agent isn't salaried either, right? Like all of us, like you and I make money off royalties, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are royalty paid people. And so if an agency, for instance, has a John Grisham, a Stephen King, someone like that on their list. Like, that money that you receive, you know, that 15% you get from that stuff or whatever the percentage is for the various subright or whatever, like, I could see a scenario in which an agency turns around and uses that money not just to, like, pay staff salaries and not just to, you know, keep the lights on, but to actually support like to supplement like a writer who is not doesn't necessarily have that foothold whose work isn't necessarily as currently market valued in the same way mm. like i guess like almost what i see is like transitioning these transitioning an agency from an institution of representation right like right. you know right now an agency exists to represent your work to publishers like we're here so that we can sell whatever you've got and whatever you receive we get a cut of and you get the rest and that's the fundamental of the arrangement but it could transition into being an institution of material support mm. in a way that i think could be really interesting um more like, of like an incubator rather in than a way, yeah. rather no, than uh just an agency who sells th- what you got i think so i think so especially if like <laughs> it's not like anyone has to put any money toward our salaries. Like we don't, have, <laughs> like we don't have one. You know what I mean? We like, laugh because it hurts. Like it's one of those things where you just see, you know, if you've got a writer who, you know, for instance, you know, maybe they're between books, and maybe they are, you know, they're not financially stable, and maybe you know it's been a little bit, but they want to just finish this thing. Like you could see a scenario where an agency says, "All right, here's here's three months of rent," you know. Here's Finish what, your book. Here's what you can use to get the writing time you need. No strings, you know, no strings attached. None of this, like, nothing predatory, nothing like that. But like, go finish your book, and we're gonna take what we've received as an agency, as like a collective, right? Because at, at its root, I think that's what an agency could be: is like a collective, a place where a whole, very, you know, like if a whole list of writers, if all their royalties are coming through one place, you could see it being collectivized, right? Like and you could see it being dispersed accordingly, not their cuts. Like I'm talking about the fifteen percent that, that an agency get. receives, right? Because some some of the all fifteen percent are not created equal. You know, like some of those fifteen percent are huge. Some of James them, Patterson's fifteen percent right. are. That's my point. Yeah, that's my point. It's like let's not lock that money up if you're someone with that. Like if you've got a giant house agency, like use that money 
to support the others who you believe in, you know, and like make yourself an institution of material support. Because like we just talked about, if authors are, you know, spending their time applying, you know, the reason authors apply for grants and apply for MFAs and apply for fellowships and residencies and whatever else it is that they see, it's the money. It's not because they want to spend, you know, maybe they do, but it's not fundamentally because they want to spend two years at, you know, Vermont College or it's not because <laughs> they want to spend, you know, whatever it is. It's because there's money and it because it affords them the time and space to write. And as like a an agency is much more in publishing and plugged into publishing than, say, an MFA program is. Yeah. Right. We should be able, in a perfect world, and that's what we're describing here, a world that is different from this one, but one that I think we could work toward in which an agency functions more as like a co-op where you and I, as agents, see ourselves as being paid and being a part of the same creative pipeline that authors are. Like, we're all making the same royalties, you know, like it's the same projects that pay us. It's like if we use this sort of collectivizing of funds as a means of helping everyone get where they want to go. And if, like, people saw an affiliation with an agency as, you know, sort of being a part of a space where not not just as representation, but where a writer who's really worth it can go. You're being developed. To be developed. Exactly. Like, because I feel like it's such a consistent presence on this show. We talk all the time about things get commodified way too late in publishing. Like, you don't get paid until you've done thousands of hours of work in public. You know, like, writing a book is hard as hell. It's good. like writing a novel. It <laughs> takes years. It takes, I mean, I, you know, some people are faster than others, but it, it takes a whole lot of time that you are not paid for until it is done and you can sell it if you can sell it. You can't always it's sell like it. That work, like, imagine a space where someone was just paid for the act of doing the work itself. And what if you were had an agency that, you know, could at least do that in some regard? It wouldn't have to be some big, splashy thing. But like, what if, you know, what if even an agency could, you know, buy your groceries for a month because it believed in your work? You know, forget these giant, you know, forget like all expenses. What if it was a little bit? What if it was just a small stipend that made the difference between having to work a second know, job a second, or being able to finish exactly, your book? Exactly. Exactly. Like that kind of stuff. And I, I think that that's possible. And I think that in agencies that want to see themselves as part of this like late capitalist hellscape where... <laughs> It's impossible to be a writer unless you basically have a wealthy patron at this point. It's like we can be a part of that fix. Like we can be a part of making sure that the authors writing things that aren't necessarily commodified yet, you know, have space to do that. And I think that that's, you know, we talk all the time about like the difference between, you know, publishing is art and publishing is business. Like the art part is fading because there's just no money and there's no space to do it. And it's like, we are the sort of institutions that, you know, if our job is to gather the writers and collect the funds, like, we can find a way to make that happen in a way that, I don't know, like, modern, it just seems to me that Modern it's publishing, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about how it's changed to smaller advances, except for the, the few really, really yeah. big hitters yeah. that are oftentimes debut, but not always. And so agenting, if you're kind of looking at it again with that short view to to make the same amount of money, it becomes a numbers game unless you're doing that, which is when you're investing in 
authors who are not quite there yet, not quite ready to, you know, sell for gobs and gobs of money, but have potential and might be disenfranchised in some way. And what we can do is invest in that. And then instead of just trying to find and grab and like cross your fingers that you're that this book that this debut is going to be the big splashy one and you're going to get more than you know five grand for it like you can make it yeah i mean and of course it's going to be a gamble right but uh, everything in this business is a gamble everything in our job is a gamble we take authors on and we put in Hundreds and hundreds of hours of work, yeah. and yet we... Oh, we're screwed by the same system, oh, yeah, to be totally. clear. Like, yeah. It's like I edit, I've edit. i edited books three times over, four times over that... Don't sell. Or that don't sell or sell for an amount that is absolutely not commensurate yeah. with the amount of work that, especially the author, but me too, yeah. I've put in. And I mean, I've gotten royalty checks for 13 cents <laughs> and 11 cents and 8 cents. Like, I'm not joking. This like, is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. If you're a publisher, if you think about it, like, if you, you know, it's kind of the same thing with like taxation and like inequality writ large. Like, if, you, if you're an agency that has sold like Fire and Fury or something, it would really be nice if you took that cut that you got from that book. And turn it around and put it into all these other people. Not mm-hmm. just like the staff, not just bonuses, all that kind of stuff, but like helped because you, you get that logic at publishers a lot of the time, right? Like I remember I've worked at places where they say, Yeah, the books you don't like are the ones that pay for the ones you do is basically the logic. Yeah. And and there is a certain truth to it, but it's it's different on the agency side and it's not quite as true on the agency side. And I think it could be. And it would create an environment where more people had a shot, where money wasn't tied up in the the big projects and staying there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Like I just see a sense a chance to like an agency, you know, a client list is in its own way a banding together of authors. It's like collectivize that power. You know what I mean? Like make that something that can actually work for everyone, including you, because the way it works for you and me, like if instead of pocketing the full 15% that we get, if instead that gets turned around and invested in the people we're representing, like theoretically those people then are able to sell more themselves too, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're able to kind of take advantage of opportunities that they wouldn't have had, you know? Like, Or like what if the, you know, you turn around and use agency coffers to do things like Pay for an independent publicist, you know, to help with a project. Oh, yeah. Like, there's all sorts of little things that you don't really see that much that wouldn't actually, that aren't that far outside the realm of possibility. You just got to do it. And you just got to do it. And too much of that burden is placed on the author or on the, the market pub- or, or the yeah, publisher. Yeah, it's just like you have to take these things into your own hands, yeah. you know, but you have to say, you know, screw the market, screw like any of these forces that aren't what I'm capable of right here and just like, Make it happen, you know, and I, I think that you could, but I'll get off my soapbox and let you <laughs> say you give your could. Bless you. <laughs> okay, thank you. That was the most delicate sneeze I've ever done in my ve- entire life. It was life. very delicate. I didn't even have to point. like yeah. stop the recording. Yeah. Everybody listening is probably like, Laura, it wasn't delicate. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my my could is something that is focused a little bit less on the authors and a little bit more on the agents. So I believe that agents and agencies can create an effective governing body. Talk me through that. So, okay. So this is like, even, even when the agents are salaried, 
for mm-hmm. the like fundamentally we have an entire integral part of a gigantic like multi-billion dollars like business system that are essentially functioning as contractors and so here's here's the thing with that like there's no hr when everybody is a commission-only contractor there is no governing body for ethics in terms of predatory practices on authors Mm -hmm. and those of you you know are kind of listening and saying well what about the aar the association of author representatives um but that's like it's voluntary and all it is is expensive and it has really um it's kind not of like, complete and it's it's not complete yeah. and it has some like class problems. You can listen to our episode with episode Jessica Sinsheimer yeah. yeah. um, and I think the one the week before that we did yeah. about the AAR yeah. and we've kind of gone into depth about what's what are the problems there. Yeah. But like truly like I don't know if it's a union. I don't know if it's a professional yeah. organization. And then we, you know, would connect with traditional publishers to say you will privilege or you will like only work with agents or agencies who are who are certified but like there there are crazy predatory practices like okay commission based agents there mm-hmm. are agencies all over the place that are that are generally well respected mm-hmm. where the agency doesn't have an office doesn't have you know doesn't provide any concrete anything for their agents except for you know the agent being able to use the letterhead and say like i'm legit and they take half of the agent's 15 percent. that's crazy yeah so like and even think about like a 7500 dollar debut right 15 percent of that and you only get half of that 15 percent like that is predatory and it's bad and so i i would love to and you know i think we we you know, talk about some sort of like union or governing body would get really, really deeply into the weeds. But not only would it do go a long way to protect authors, but it would also protect marginalized agents who come in. It would, you know, it, it would bring everything to a safer place, I believe. You know, I had the other day, um, and I'm not going to get into specifics on the show, but um, I had something very wild happen in my agenting life. Um, on the behalf, you know, a publisher behaved in a manner that I found to be incredibly displeasing. Yes. And as did most of my peers, um, as did anyone within their right mind. It was a bad situation that was out of my control. It was something that, you know, basically. They screwed up. They did something that was, I mean, is in, you know, was fairly catastrophic in terms of right. like, and, you know, I got, to, you know, this happened and I hit crisis control mode, right? I hit damage control mode. And it was like, okay, what can I do? How can, what recourse do I have as an agent to stop like, them from doing this to again? Stop, to stop them from doing this again, to kind of recoup some losses here, you know, whatever it is. And the answer was nothing. The answer was nothing. The answer was, you know, we like, you know, we went to the Authors Guild. We did these, you know, we did these things because, you know, the author got screwed too, right? Like, and it's, it was like, man, it would be, it sure would be nice to have some like industry backstop against something, (laughs) you know, like someone should have to run into a backbone of some kind when, you know, this sort of, you know, shenanigans happens. And I think you're right. It's like the idea, obviously not in just that kind of scenario, but like anytime, um, anything happens, it would be nice to have like a collectivized body yeah. that said, 
okay, well, here's what we can do to protect you. Here's what we can do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Here's how we can make it so that you, a person who is paid only on commission and totally exposed, you know, with no, like you're saying, no HR, no, you know, anything like, you know, we twist in the wind when these things happen, yeah. you know, and so do authors more than us. I mean, we, you know, we are more protected in and the industry as, than they are. And, yeah. And as like contractors with very, with a very like flimsy net of support, like imagine if the owner of your agency or the boss, you know, is harassing you and can blackball you from going right. to any other agency. Right. And like, imagine right. like all of the stuff that's not talked about and all of this, like there's a lot that can be swept under the rug. Yep. When there is no governing body and everybody yep. like and and nobody gets a W two, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> Man, the that W that's a good point about that. Yeah. yeah, and and like if they're, they're not your employees, you can do whatever you want to them, right? So. <laughs> and and so I I I mean there would be yeah. just I mean there's so many agencies and there's so many like cowboys yeah. in this business. Yeah. That it's really, really hard, you know, from anything other than an individual level to say, hey, I know that person. They're legit. You know, it's really, really hard to go bigger and broader than that unless you're like writer's house and you've been in business for yeah. over 50 years. Right. Um, but I would love to see a governing body that actually holds people to a standard and it provides resources and support and, you know, lends prestige mm -hmm. to an agent and their sales and their authors. Like, I think that that would be so, so helpful to literally yeah. everybody in this business. Yeah. So I think that about does it, right? Like, I mean, I think yeah. that obviously we threw a lot of pain at the wall. You know? <laughs> but I think, like, these are some kind of just some, like, starting points. We'll obviously be interested to hear what people think and everything. Yeah. But I don't know. It felt energizing. It was fun. I enjoyed myself. Yes. And the the really interesting thing is, I mean, Eric and I haven't been doing this for all together that long. No. But this business and this job is so different than it was even five yeah. years ago yeah. that, like, I'm really hoping that in, like, two more years we can listen to this episode and be like, oh, isn't that amazing? All of these things <laughs> came true. Everything uh, <laughs> got better. Everything got better. Um, but, yeah, I would love to hear any of your ideas or thoughts or feelings about this because I think that this is also something, like, None of this is going to change unless people are having the conversations yeah. about it. And nobody yeah. is pointing at the system and saying, well, that's just the way the system is. Like everybody instead is looking at the system and saying, well, what about this? Yeah. What about if we just made this tiny little shift? Yeah. What if we jumped from point A to point B mm -hmm. and it makes almost no difference to the bottom line and just makes a little change and yep. like what you're doing when you're drinking your coffee in the morning and yep. that's it. Yep. Wouldn't that be great? Sure would. So thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of Print Run. We hope you enjoyed it. We certainly enjoyed making it. And remember, we will see you for a regular episode next week. Bye. Bye.